Welcome. Fancy new technology given to me by the government. My big brain makes me so attractive. I want to read through Lord of the Rings. I haven't yet. I, I feel kind of ashamed. Thanks for stopping by. I just heard Caleb flailing around with his tongue. Do this or I'll kill you. It's like you were going to kill me anyway. You're an executioner. To see. Brian has ascended. He is a god. What's up? They would say, oh, you think you're cute? Well, I think this bullet's also pretty cute. Pow! In Brian's attic. Or do we need to whip ourselves and cry? Hey, Bobby, step up. Boom! Bobby's head falls on the floor. You can really download it. You can really download it. <laughs> you can really download it. Welcome to Brian's Attic. My name is Brian. I'm Andrew. I can't remember if... It's been so long that I don't remember if there's any other part of the intro that we we do. No, I, I feel I think, like we're I think supposed it's just the two of us, right? Brian's Attic it was just always the two just the two of us. That's the entire intro. I wasn't implying, oh, there was another person. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I decided to take it on myself to, to, to do that, to complete that. Oh. <clears throat> well, it's been a while. Uh, very, very while. Very, very wild, yes. I recently... <laughs> very wild time. <laughs> very wild time. I re Not wild. Very wild. I recently came back from Vermont uh, oh. earlier this week. Was it a vacation I, of some kind? Yeah, it was a vacation. Uh, I had not taken a, like a real actual vacation in like a year or so. So it felt very nice. I got to wow. go up to see my dad in the mountains. Um, got to reconnect with some people I hadn't seen in three years. That was nice. And I got to sample some of the local food. Um, <laughs> the weather was, was horrible. Uh, it, it, it was absolutely awful going, because you, you know, you're going through snowstorms and you're going up mountains. And uh, there, my dad says that when he's there, uh, he says up there, like every third car is a Subaru because they're all-wheel drive, but he doesn't have a Subaru. So we have to go like 30 miles an hour. It's, it's, a, it's a slog. But uh, it, it was very nice. The weather was yeah, good. I got to take a few walks around uh, town. When, when was this? This like, was... This past week or... Yeah, this was it, this past week. We oh, okay. were there starting at like the... We got in at like the end of Thursday. it got pretty cold. Like yes. a lot of places got snow recently. Oh, yeah. So that's some oh, interesting yeah, a lot... timing there. We got a lot of snow uh, while we were up there as well. But there was this really nice burger joint. It was a mom and pop place. Uh, just it, that place is an outlet town that we went to, so it, it kind of attracts a, a bit of a not upper class but richer clientele, more middle class. There you go. So I went there and I got a burger and some fries and a milkshake, and I wasn't really paying attention to the prices. I Ooh. ordered the burger and I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, and I saw the fries. And I was like, yeah, I'll get some fries too. It sounds good. And then I saw the milkshakes and I thought. I probably shouldn't, but then I saw they had a specialty maple flavor because you know it's it's the oh, northeast and maple syrup and all that. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll try I that. It's practically Canada up there. I know it really, it really is. Uh, except for well, like we can talk about that the the not so Canada parts later. But I, I order it <laughs> and I, I I get the receipt and it was thirty six dollars. Thirty six dollars. Thirty six dollars. It's twelve dollars per the, food item. The the burger itself was twenty dollars flat. Oh my goodness! And the fries eight fifty. The milkshake six, and then like cash or sorry, 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 then like taxes. 
Oh man, it, it, it wasn't. It it didn't feel that bad because I it, this is this was a paid vacation. So like, was it a sizable burger at least? Uh, it was maybe about the size of like uh my fist and a half. Oof. Yeah, but I mean, well, it, it thickness tasted, or or width around oh, in like diameter. Yeah, that's what I meant. Width around diameter. Uh, that's, that's, the burger that's itself pretty big. The the burger itself tasted amazing. It was it was actually a specialty French dip burger. So you know the, how they have those those little French dip sandwiches, and then they get like the little cup of like the the, the au jus is what they call it, but it's just like the the gravy beef sauce whatever. This was like incorporated into the burger itself. Every bite to us was perfect. Amazing place. Uh, I recommend it if you if you have your paycheck like every week and it's decent. Yeah, sure. I recommend that place. If not, uh, it's like a special occasions kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. What makes the place, however, uh, I mean, New England, Vermont, and, and, and company, not like Canada, though, is their... Second <clears throat> Amendment rights. Honestly, that too, but they don't seem to be... They're not like First fanatically... First Amendment rights. <laughs> they're not really fanatically interested in that. I was referring oh, more to the fact that they're no, very... Nowhere like, really is. Except yeah, the South. Texas. I was about to say Texas. Uh, uh, Texas counts as part of the South when it comes to Second Amendment rights. Yeah. 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 That that's true. I've been honestly, Florida. Insular... I wouldn't typically consider part of the South, but when it comes to amendment rights, yeah, yeah I'd include yeah, Florida. They're as well. honorary South. They, they get tacked on at the end. Uh, yeah, no. they're not Southern as like deep South Southern, but they're South in. They're uh, South by means of allies because they're allied with the South yeah. on that on that matter. So they, they're honorary South. I meant more that that New England tends to be very insular in its culture. If you don't know what you're like looking at or or ready for it, they see they come across as just like horrible people. Uh, like for instance, when I was out and about, what, walking, but that would kind of be that brusque northeast New England persona, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, they they, don't, like they want New to be York. left alone. Fundamentally, yeah. they just don't want to talk to people that they don't know. So I, I was Which walking is rough around as town because it's a big tourist spot, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I was Ver walking Vermont around town Vermonties? and like it's Vermonties? not it's not it's not a uh, uncommon for people to just completely ignore you as you walk past. That's not them saying like I dislike like you or I think you're not worth talking. Yeah, uh, New York they do dislike you. In Vermont they don't dislike <laughs> <Yes>. you. <laughs> they think it's a sign I, of the, respect the to not is meddle in your affairs, you. and they're happy for you to not meddle in theirs. What'd you yeah. say? I said that the similarity is uh, completely ignoring you. Yes, yes. The behavior is the same, but the reasons are different. If you know that Vermonters have nothing against you, they just think that it's like a sign of respect for them to not uh, bother you, and, and they hope that you reciprocate in kind, then you'll get along just fine. If, if like, it does make it really difficult to, like, make friends, like, like really good friends, like, to, to penetrate the local culture and make yourself part of it. They'll kind of always look at you as an outsider. Uh, but if you, if you can get past that, great. If not, I, I've heard a few stories of people who went up to live there because they thought it would be beautiful or they retired there or whatever. And within a year or a couple months, they're like, I can't take it. This place is just so different because like they moved from like the Midwest or the South. And they say, this place is so different culturally. I can't take it. And they go back home. I'm so lonely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I imagine, uh, Vermont, the accents would be some kind of weird mixture of Canadian and like New Jersey, is is what I'm imagining in my head. Uh, 
And I'm not quite sure how that would sound. Yeah, pr- probably closer to like a a very very light Canadian. It's not it's not really like that because that's more of like a hinterlands Canadian accent, you know. Uh, these people are at least where I was in rural Vermont. Yeah, sure, but a lot of a lot of the Canadian accent is like French. But that part of the country was not oh, okay. was not occupied by French settlers, but rather by so the not English. a Newfoundland. No, it's, it's Canadian. They're they're actually somewhat close to the Midwest in in, in, in terms of like a blandish accent. Gotcha. Just not like, but like, so like more more like maybe Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. That that that's probably closer to it. Gotcha. But yeah, so... it was a lot of fun going up there and back. I. It was especially nice considering I hadn't seen my dad in three years. I had spoken to him over the phone, obviously, but I had not seen him or, or anything like that for three years. It was great to see him again, finally. Yeah, I guess that kind of surprises me. I, I thought you would have, I don't know, seen him before that. Honestly, it, it seemed, we were like, we would like make tentative plans and they always just kind of fell through gotcha. due to weather or other scheduling or some other event that pops up. So we finally, you know, really hammered out a date. And I guess the trips that I'm thinking of are like times you went to see your brother. Yeah, yeah, that happened. You visited Actually, him I, since, I also since went then. to go see my brother uh, on Monday. So it's a couple, just a couple days ago. And it was very really nice. Gotcha. But like, we had to go all the way down to Boston, down like up and down mountains during another blizzard or another snowstorm, I should say, which made the driving go from like two and a half hours to like three and a half. It was bad. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, did you get started on that book that I gave you for Christmas? No, I, I didn't. And here, let me explain why. <clears throat> I, I was in the middle of The Witcher. Um, I the figured book. you might be still in the middle of that series. Yes. It's not a short series. Yeah, I, I was still in the middle of the book Time of Contempt. So, I wanted to finish that. And um, then I was going to start Elantris. I finished time of contempt while i was up in vermont and the only other book that i had was one that i ordered uh from etsy no not etsy it was not etsy it was something else some some like third party uh online bookseller it was a book written by charles kingsley released in 1865 it's he's an englishman and it was about a, a man named Hereward the wake he was a, a the the legend goes he's like a British nobleman who resisted the Norman invasion in the 11th century of the of the British Isles. That's and, very uh, interesting. Yeah, that book's amazing. That book's really interesting so far. I'm only a little way late. Only a little ways into it. So is it like a fiction or is it a history or it, is it like almost in the more like a of it, m- mythical like uh, almost more like a legend of oh here is a story of a guy. Almost more like King Arthur, I guess you could say. It seems to be a mix of all three because it's it's not fiction in the sense of he's just making stuff up. Wow. In the introduction, the author says, "I have in, I've taken it upon myself to invent like nothing except what was like necessary for coherence. Like if if he's if he's, if he's in one place in at one point in the legend and then he's in another place, he's like, okay, well he had to have gotten there somehow, so." Like that sort of thing. Interesting. It, but Herod the Wake, uh, so that's actually like this... the histories that Herodotus wrote. Yeah, kind of like that, or, or like um. But there's like, like a little bit of uh, like like uh, Homer's Iliad, hyperbole, and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
it, um, like, like homer's iliad is like I, I i am writing down history it's like well okay some of the stuff is obviously not real but he's not making it up he he's he's drawing on his own primary sources in the same way charles kingsley is drawing on primary sources to write his book but he's constructing it in like a novel format or the format of a novel not a new way i mean it, it seems really interesting he has a bit of like this little foreword where he kind of sets things up um apparently people like Hereward the wake were like the cultural ancestors of people like robin hood um these people who who resist the king and they hide in like the forests and they perform almost guerrilla warfare-esque actions. And I thought, you know, I, I never asked myself where Robin Hood even came from. Like, who is Robin Hood? Why do we have him? Apparently, he's like a descendant of those defeated English noblemen who resisted the French-Norman invaders. That's, that's, yeah, I was, uh, after you mentioned Robin Hood, I was thinking, it's like, oh, what is the the cultural background of that? And it's like, I think it had to do with the Norman invasion, but... Mm -hmm. I didn't remember. And Herod the Wake is it. like the last, the last guy, the last nobleman. He, he first he makes his case that Herod the Wake was actually a, an English nobleman, descended from the the Danish invaders who became English noblemen by intermarrying like centuries earlier. And uh, apparently, I'm to this when that would be. Uh, I think it was I like in the six or seven hundreds. Yeah. I was thinking he, he he gives some dates in the forward, yeah, but I, I, I wasn't really per, I, I, like I was I wasn't completely interested in in that bit. I might have to read about it later, but there doesn't there don't seem most, to be a whole most lot of most of my memories coming from me reading the uh, uh, a history of the English language mm. book, yeah, where it goes into stuff like that because that all the all that stuff affects how language language develops. Honestly, the names that he was throwing around in the introduction were kind of were interesting to me. Did you know, you've heard the name, like, Lady Godiva, right? Yeah. Apparently she was some Anglo—Kingsley, the author, instead of saying Anglo-Saxon, says Anglo-Dane. He, he, Interesting. He, he believes it's more like an Anglo-Danish uh, nobility rather than Anglo-Saxon nobility. And then, okay, fine, whatever. He, he uh, explains that Lady Godiva was actually one of um, these Anglo-Danish noblewomen. And that he he contends that Herod the Wake was actually her son, so he's descended from Lady Godiva. Yeah, like like that. That's re really interesting. Uh, I haven't I haven't read more of the book yet. See, I the, think I'm trying to remember, but I think Lady Godiva isn't she the lady from whom the the term Peeping Tom comes from? I don't know anything about Lady Godiva. All I know I, is there's that one brand of chocolate i think is that is that lady godiva i know that i know she like had a lot of hair yeah i think and she's naked oh I like the, the logo is her and it, she's a naked woman which is because oh. from what i recall if, if i'm remembering correctly she was protesting something and as part of this protest apparently she was supposed to she was riding through the town naked on a horse and everyone was supposed to stay in their house and not look well and some did. guy named tom looked and huh. so and i think he got punished or something but that's where the term peeping tom comes from i don't know i don't remember what she was protesting and maybe she was protesting norman invasion i don't know um i mean i don't think protests it's a are gonna weird way to protest people. i know right what? i don't think protests I, i'm are gonna sure work on i'm sure people. tom was not the only one peeping but 
he was the only one caught because he was stupid. Exactly. <laughs> it's not. Rem- remember, it's only illegal when you're caught. Right. Right. But yeah, I. That is my reasoning for why I haven't started Elantris yet. I actually have it on my uh, on my like my dining room table with like a, a bookmark on top of it. I, I was I got back home from uh, Vermont Wednesday, and I had to go get back to work the the day after, and then the and then Friday. And now today I'm off, but I ha- I already made plans to actually go be with your brother in the morning and then i had some errands to run and then i took a nap and now we're here but i, I plan <laughs> to get started like tomorrow yeah believe it or not i've had the last two days off oh nice so that involved some reading and what were you reading uh so i'm i'm going i'm trying so this year is the year of sanderson right yeah uh, oh weren't so- those two like mystery novels going to be revealed and sold this year that he wrote he wrote four. Well, actually, oh. he wrote five books, but only four of them are part of his Kickstarter campaign that mm. he's releasing. So there's one every three months. And so the first one was released January 1st this this year. And what was that one? Uh, it is titled Tress of the Emerald Sea. And uh, so I've read that one already. Oh, wow. So, or rather, my reading goal is not just to read those those secret novels that he wrote, Brandon Sanderson wrote, but read like all of his cosmere novels have i ever explained the cosmere to you you have before yes okay so elantris is part of the cosmere right the cosmere being like the the greater it's basically his fantasy word for the universe yeah and so it's alternate universe from our own it's earth isn't part of it um but there are many worlds many planets in this universe where all these stories take place so elantris Mm takes place on one one planet i cannot remember what the name of the planet is and then his mistborn novels take place on another planet um and his stormlight archive take place on yet another planet Hmm. and he has a few stories that take place on same planets like there's a a short story he wrote it's really more like a a novella that takes place on the same planet as elantris does but it's like in a different country oh okay, okay that's pretty cool so the the big thing about it is that as time goes on, as he publishes more books, the the stories of all these different the the, the events of all of the, that are taking place on all these different planets are are like twisting together more and more. Hmm. And so there's going to be like a final culmination where they're all involved. Yes. So in a sense, like you should be able to read them standalone, but they're so much richer when you read all of them okay because you can make the connections um okay and so there's ways of traveling from one planet to the next oh and, okay. and people who do this are called world hoppers and so there's one character that appears in every story and his hmm. name he's known as hoid okay uh, and so he's he's kind of the you could call him a main not exactly the main character beat but he's significantly involved in the grander scope of things Okay. And you know, describing the Cosmere as a place where a, a universe where all these different planets, where all of his stories take place, or a lot of his stories take place, and how they sort of twist together, they become inter intertwined, or at least what, what what you do in one place is seemingly has effects somewhere else. It made me think of like how cool it would be if you read one book 
and you look up in the sky at night and you see like oh hey that planet over there and like the stars are kind of doing some weird like ah what's up with that it's some kind of like constant like some weird celestial body uh nonsense going on and then like that's actually like the characters from that planet seeing an like an event taking place in a different on a different planet in a different book like oh they're having some kind of star fight and like you can just see the all the the, the light scenes here and like hi what are they doing over there what like not like i know those people but like what even is that thing but like you if you read the book you're like oh that's that event from that other book i thought that would be pretty cool i would say stuff nothing has happened from people looking at stars you know because it's not clear how physically close these Mm. worlds are they're more connected through magic and um, okay more of a place called Shadesmar. Hmm. So the oh. the grander scope or the rather the 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 I guess you could call it the meta narrative that's hmm. going on behind the scenes of these books is that uh basically 17 people got together and killed God. Oh wow. In some way. And so God shattered or the name of God is like Adonelsium. Hmm. And it's uh we'll call him God for right now. Well, yeah, it's it's simpler, but it, it actually comes from the the Jewish word for Lord. I the I, word, I heard Adonai word. in there, yeah. Adonai, yeah, Adonalsium, uh, and then Alsium is kind of, uh, well, it's related to metal. Hmm. Um, okay. Metal plays a, a big part in in kind of these. Anyway, big metal so, god, right? Yeah, yeah. Adonalsium ends up being uh, shattered. They call it the shattering of Adonalsium. And he's split into 16 different shards. And these shards have different, I suppose you could call them characteristics, almost personas, but they're more like driving forces. And so the big one on Roshar, which is the planet that the Stormlight Archive takes place, well, that one actually has, has three. Uh, it's Honor, Cultivation, and uh, Odium. Odium like evil? Like odious? Well, odium is actually hatred. It's okay. It's more of a emotion, like okay. passion is another another word that is sometimes used for that that shard. Okay. And so there's this idea that you have these different aspects that have a different effect upon the world, and that's really the source of where the magic systems come from in the stories. I see. I note the seventeen people, but only sixteen shards. That must be significant in some manner. Has that been revealed yet, or is that like a spoiler thing? Um, it's it's not really clear. It's okay. just you know that there there's one person that in particular that says they were in a plot to kill God with sixteen other people, hmm. and okay. so the implication is that the sixteen other people, I, I forgot to, so these shards, people can actually like grasp them and kind of like control them. But oh, it's not the exactly... shards aren't planets. They're no something else. Okay, they're 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 aspects of God. They landed on planets. Are they physical things? They you say they can be controlled. Are... They have to have some physical manifestation. Then they do have a physical manifestation, but it, it, it's not exactly clear. Hmm. So the Cosmere is split into three different levels. You've got the material physical realm, like we have. Then you have the spiritual realm. Okay. which is, you know, further away. And then kind of in between, you have what's called the cognitive realm. And that is, it's almost kind of like what you might call the quantum realm of sorts. 
I don't. Maybe that doesn't, that doesn't explain anything to me. Sorry, I don't it, know. If it's the quantum it's realm an is. alternate dimension, ultimately. Oh, okay. And it's a little bit. It in in ways it's inverse from the real world. So hmm. the the sun, like everything's like a dark shadow, and the sun, like shadows, point the wrong direction. Hmm. And wherever there is water, it's actually solid land. So that that's that's. You mean like you swim through called, land and you walk on water? All oh, like say basically. Now? Okay. Yes, it's un. It, again, it's unclear. We haven't had a whole lot take place in Shadesmar, mm. but that's that's what they call the the cognitive realm. So some books have stuff like ghosts, and those are called cognitive shadows. And so it's this idea that they're is this Jungian in any way, um, like Carl I, Jung? No. Oh, okay. No, not not that kind of shadow. Okay. I don't think. I heard cognitive yeah. and shadow. I'm like, wait a minute. Sorry, I'll no, keep going. Well, at least I'm not aware of any Jungian connection. Uh, no, cognitive in the sense of like mental, like your 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 active thought processes affect it. Okay, so I kind get of you like now. kind of like uh, quarks. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Like huh. measuring and observing things affects the reality. Okay. Okay. And so these cognitive shadows, these ghosts, they are like kind of people's consciousnesses that mm -hmm. have like are stuck in the physical realm you know they've got such a strong cognitive essence to them like intellectual like this sense of being so this um, is this is this is a manifestation of the individual this is not yes. a, a a cultural uh a deeply held cultural belief that manifests itself it's rather like this the, it, it's it's independent of the person Right, but you, it, just need, it's you directly need a really strong the personality, magic. basically, is what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. In a sense, the the the. Okay, it's not like so. Santa Claus. Like, oh, we all believe he's real, so he's real in the cognitive realm or something. It's like it would have to be an actual person who uh, believes he's Santa Claus really that would strongly. Be pretty funny. Okay. Um, there might be something to that. I don't know. Um, mm. but I, I don't think so. Uh, so these people, so people. The, the gods on these planets are shards of adenalcium with in the they kind of like have to have a host and so a human being is a host for it the human being or the cognitive ghost of the human being no the, the human being oh. i'm not talking about the cognitive shadows anymore oh okay. that was just kind of a an explanation of how the cognitive realm plays a part does wait does does the shard being or having a host in the human being affect or amplify whether or not their cognitive shadow in Shadesmar like is more powerful can, is that the only way you can have a cognitive shadow in in no, the it, it's probably realm? best if you ignore the cognitive shadows oh yeah i was kind of hoping it, like the, the, i was kind of hoping like you could like meet the god in the physical realm and then like you go to the cognitive realm and like there it's like his is really deeply inheld belief of himself um I don't know about that. You can travel to Shadesmar as like a physical being. It's not like, it's not like, it's not an alternate dimension in that, oh, there's two of you always at the same time and you're like walk parallel. Mm -hmm. And so what happens to you here happens to you here. Hmm. Um, although there are some instances of that. And this sounds really confusing and like I should read the books. It is because <laughs> it, it's, we're, we're talking Millions of words have been written, and I'm trying to explain them in like an hour. <laughs> right. No, I get you. I get you. Uh, and I'm not doing a very good job of it because cognitive shadows don't take place for a while. Like there's 
Mm. Like there is one short story where they play a role where it they're they're basically okay. So so George R. R. Martin uh, was creating an anthology of like horror stories, and he asked Brandon Sanderson to write a story for it. So Brandon Sanderson doesn't typically write horror stories, but you know he was asked to do this. And so he decided to make this story part of the Cosmere. And because it's a horror story, horror stories t- can have ghosts. Okay. And so it's kind of his in-between between a normal, like a normal horror story and a his Cosmere fantasy okay. stories. And so basically it's how he managed to fit the concept of ghosts into the Cosmere. So this is not like so a, a it's regular like he came thing up, occurrence. It's No. Um, and um and there's only one or like there's only one other place where cognitive shadow has even come up that that i can think of and and it's very far down into a series elsewhere so it, it doesn't play a big part it's just it's basically an explanation for how a person like and so in, in the cosmere people are like they have they are part they have an essence from each of the three realms okay they've got their physical body yeah they have their intellectual like cognition right and then they have essence of adenalcium which um in the cosmere is called investiture so they're invested with a piece of god everyone is yes interesting it's their soul basically it's their soul Uh, okay or rather their soul has some magic power in it naturally hmm um, Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't think of it directly as someone's soul because there are some there are some worlds where people can give up the investiture that's naturally in them, but that's part of the magic system on that planet. Okay, so it's like a special thing. Yeah. So a cognitive shadow is a person whose investiture has like kept them in the physical realm, attached to their cognitive like their their mental essence but they're not attached to a body. So it's only two parts of a person is kind of the idea. Okay. Instead of having the full essence of a human being, the, the physical, uh, cognitive, and spiritual, it's only the two. And so that, that's kind of his explanation of sorts. So they're, they're like moving around in the physical realm, but they're not really supposed to be part of it. That's really interesting, actually. So, so what are the gods of, the, of this universe then? So the gods are... Basically, these sixteen people, who, oh. who all have a shard of adenalcium, like in their possession. Right. But here's the thing: it's really unclear which has, you know, which really has control over which. Is it the human it the wielding the shard, or is it the shard right directing? Because the the shard, it's a piece of God. It is itself infinite. Mm-hmm. You know, when you split up infinity. It's still infinity. You just have more of them. You know, I God, think metaphysically that doesn't make any sense, right. but I, I but, suspend but, my disbelief. So well, keep going. Mathematically, you can have infinities that are bigger than other infinities. That's like one of those mathematical weird things. I, I'm going to suspend my disbelief of reality for a moment then. Just keep going. Sure. Uh, so, so God, who is infinite, is split into 16 pieces, shattered. And um, 16 of these 17 conspirators take hold of a shard mm-hmm. at least I, i'm filling in the gaps not all of this has been spe- spelled out but it's pretty clear through implication and the 17th 
So what's interesting is that you've got these, um, well, the 17th person. Yeah. What of him? Okay. I don't know. I don't know the role he really played, but no, I mean, like, what was... is, did he die? Is he alive? He's alive. Huh? Yeah. His, his overall role is unclear. I see. Okay. We just know that he, he played a part in the shattering of Adenalsium. Uh, and I've got some interesting theories about what's going on with the shattering of Adenalsium. Why did they shatter him? They just not like well, him? Well, that's the big question. Oh, okay. You know, it's like, oh, did they not like God or were they just lusting after power? Was this an accident? And also, Oops, I tripped well, and, and I broke and here's God. The thing. And here's the thing. This is the big question to me is, okay, this is God we're talking about who has all of the shards of Adenalsium, you know, unsplit, unshattered. How'd he lose? So, wh- yeah, why did he let it happen? And so that that's what I think it is, is that somehow it's going to be basically Jesus dying on the cross. Is that the only oh, way you're God right. you, you dies and loses? You said he was Jehovah's Witness, didn't you? No, he's Mormon. Mormon. Oh, uh, whatever. I see those two as the same thing, basically. Well, and, and that's that's actually an interesting aspect because, you know, Mormons, after they die, they believe that they become gods. You know, okay, that... It all kind of comes together a little bit more. Man, learning um, about people is perhaps the best way to understand their stories. <laughs> <laughs> I could read your story or I could just figure out who you are. Oh, that's who you are? Uh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. So so I think, I think it's going to be basically this God let himself be destroyed and in the end it's all gonna like work out together to where this like reunited into one or something like that Hmm. that that's i I, honestly you talking about that made me interested in it in a way that i was never interested in it before so thank you thank you i'm definitely gonna have to right and and this is all stuff that's just behind the scenes of the stories that i've filled in from reading them Hmm. okay so so yeah, like I said, you've got the shard of Adenalsium, and then you have the host that is like filled with the the infinite essence of God, uh, and these essences they have different aspects, almost like personalities, but they're more like various virtues, but they're not always virtues. Like honor is one of them, and right. so the person who the person who had the shard of Aden, um, shard of Aden, Adenalsium that was honor, like. His, his core value was honor. Hmm. And so people who worshipped honor or people who were honorable, like, he, he looked after them. They were his, his people. But then you have another one that was um, another shard that is you know, cultivation. And so people who grow and make things. But you can grow and people. make bad things. I guess, yeah. The, in, in some sense, there's not a, exactly a moral aspect to it. Like, honor has a kind of morality to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it's not necessarily right. I I, I, I think I'm seeing. Cut. I think I'm seeing the conflict in that if you only have one aspect that right. that leads to right. excess, or or it, it's being unmoderated by all the other necessary aspects, you can't really a- arrive at a full and complete moral expression. Um, and so the one of the main bad guys for the Stormlight Archive is Odium, and it's interesting that like the bad guys in these books are themselves gods a lot of the time. Well, I guess more so now you're interacting with gods in the later books, not so much in the earlier books. So I guess I'm spoiling things a That's little bit. Fine. But so Odium is kind of the the main bad one for the Stormlight Archive, and. 
obviously the name is drawn from the the Latin word for hatred. Right. But, you know, you get moments where you see him talk and he tries to spin it as like passion. You know, it's like just pure emotion. And so people who are like incredibly passionate, regardless of whether it's a good or bad thing, it's like, oh, those are his people. Hmm. Okay. And so that's that's kind of why that's the bad guy. Interesting. uh, Of the of the story. So it's interesting because it's it's like possible to kill gods in some way when you have other gods help and like there's there's kinds of rules that they have to follow i can't remember exactly what they are but certain like they couldn't go against their own essence you know honor the shard of honor could never be dishonorable okay so even if it would hurt him he would take that action yeah basically okay okay so in the in the case of elantris I don't think this is explained in the book because it's his first book, and so he was very the the Cosmere stuff that the meta meta narrative that's going on in the background. It's very low key. Okay. It's like Hoyd Hoyd shows up in the book, but he doesn't really do much. Um, he really doesn't do a whole lot in a lot of books. But uh, so the the magic system in Elantris, it is it it's a combination of two shards, and I can't remember exactly what they're called i think it's devotion and dominion okay so two shards combined and they are actually they're not attached to anybody they are basically landlocked to that planet and so like the 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 planet is rife with magic because it's just openly available to people oh but it can't go anywhere it's it's like restricted so which obviously the implication of that is Certain magics are not restricted to the planet. Hmm. Well, that's un... Huh. Well, okay, so that that may not be... That's initially my understanding of it, but that may not strictly be accurate because there are certain things that happen in later books that make that not really the case. Hmm. It, it may or may not be landlocked. But it is clear that there are no, there are no people hosting those shards of Adenalsium. That okay, is clear. okay. I get you. Your point about um, typically, or, or at least sometimes, these shards uh, get attached to hosts. How do they get attached to hosts? And if there are 16 gods, you said? There, there, there's at least 16 shards. Right, there's 16 shards. Um, two of them are don't have hosts. So there's 14 oh, people. Oh, okay. I was about to ask, what's the like process by which I really shouldn't spoil it. There is an instance where, well, there there are some major events involving a couple of them in in later stories. It doesn't happen often. Um, mm. In fact, I can't even remember how some of them end up dying at the end of certain books. All right, well, well, it don't... might be one of those uh, a famous a famous phrase of Brian uh, Brandon Sanderson is uh, Raffo, which is read and find out. Ah. So I might have to do that for for your sake. Okay. But th- basically, there are certain magics that exist that can. Well, I'll put it this way: no, the the shards themselves cannot be killed. Makes sense. But the hosts can be. Right. Um. It it's really up to the hosts not to put themselves in the kind of position that would end up getting them killed. Right. But sometimes, due to the nature of the force behind them, the the shard of Adenalsium. Right. Uh, they, they're kind of compelled to. Makes you know, sense. Through their own. It, it's kind of, it's a kind of hubris 
uh, sometimes. Other times, it's like a form of sacrifice. Hmm. But yeah, it's tough. I guess I'll have to raffo. Yeah. But no, I thank you for... for t- we've, we've had discussions like this before about Brandon Sanderson's work. And I freely admit, none of them, none of the stuff really, like, jumped out and grabbed me. But, like, this, I think, has. Oh, yeah. The, the whole... Like, the, the stories themselves are good. And seeing how they connect together is fun. But the... You know, once you start bringing in the the I don't know the the mechanics of the universe, like this weird like existence of gods and God being dead and yeah, all sorts of stuff. It's like what is like I I must like understand what's going on. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, there out. are at at the end of every book, there's this little section that's not actually part of the narrative, and it's called the Ars Arcanum. Okay, and it's like okay, I guess. I can't remember what ars means. Ars, A R S. Well, yeah, there's um for Latin. Here, I'll, I'll look it up. Arcanum being arcane, of course. I mean, anyway, there's also that one. They're they're like explanations of the magic systems, but they are in-world explanations, and so whoever's writing them is like an actual in-world person, and like they don't have all the answers, and so sometimes they're guesses about you know stuff ours is technique skiller art oh, okay which if you've ever heard of the publication ours technica makes that yeah. seem very strange it's technique technica whatever skill technica art technica i guess that's how they mean it i guess no i like that i i enjoy the diegetic sort of explanations given of certain uh concepts or systems for instance when <laughs> when i'm playing a game like like the Elder Scrolls, and you, you like come across a book that's attempting to explain something, rather than like, oh, the developer giving you a manual and saying, well, this works because of X, Y, and Z. It's a character who's saying, well, we th- we're pretty sure this is how it works, and you can right. maybe sometimes figure out for yourself. Because like, oh, with, with Elder Scrolls, it's a bit different because the lore is so all, all over the place and inconsistent. It could be telling you something that's just flat out not true, but was true in an earlier game. And now they just, they, just, they just ported that book over to here, and it's like, well, that doesn't make sense, but okay. But I, I do enjoy... I think The Witcher also does that with a... In the, sometimes, like, the beginning or end of a chapter, it'll have... what oh, the chapter. Uh, uh, yeah, of, of uh, the book. You're talking about the book. So at the beginning or end of a chapter, it'll have, like, an, an excerpt from a book talking about something that's either prophetic or explanatory, and it's like, you know, that... I, I really appreciate that because it fleshes out the world... Um, Dark Souls also does this with like their item descriptions. Uh, in the game, if it, you you pick up an item and it'll sometimes give you a description. Sometimes it's like just their omniscient third person, or, or sometimes just a non-omniscient third person narrator giving you some stuff. And sometimes it's like an actual character's quote regarding something, and you and you have to like fit these pieces together in through inference. But I enjoy that. It makes the world feel real. And that they're not just info dumping everything onto you. And so the real test of, of this of this work is just will you sit there and read everything? And, right. And, and instead of reading and then and then understanding. You're just reading and absorbing. You're just memorizing information instead of right. understanding. I appreciate right. that. I think I and think to me what, that what's says. What's interesting he cares. is that yeah, that what's interesting is I guess what the the skill with Brandon Sanderson is his ability to 
intertwine this interesting world that he's made, uh, a cool magic system, and weave those into interesting storylines. Mm. So not just not just cool plots where oh, some like some cool twist happens at the end, which he does rather well also, but characters that you care about. Now the his his best character work is in the Stormlight Archive. Okay. Like hands down that's that's where the best of it is. Um you know, by comparison, I would say his his other work just like isn't as good, but it's you know, it it could be because of the brevity by comparison because a lot of a lot of his books are actually longer than your average book even still. Like even his shorter books. Like I think Elantris is like 600 pages still. Hmm, okay. I think it's uh, 66 chapters. Yeah, that's something. With uh, three different viewpoints. Okay. And, uh, but it's like, it's a, it's an interesting, like, it's still, this is, this is why I suggest reading in publication order, is that, okay, maybe it's not the best book to capture your attention as far as Brandon Sanderson, the author, goes, but it's, it's your, it's, I find it's best to grow with the author, you know. Mm. That kind of means you have to start out already liking it, though, doesn't it? Right. Well, yeah, and that that's me. I knew I was going to like it before I read his books. Oh, okay, okay. A part of that being that, you know, tons of people I respect suggested his books to me and told me about them. Like, I knew about the Cosmere, just like I told you. I knew that, you know, he had this grander narrative how all these different books on these different planets with these different stories and these different series, they all are going to mix together eventually. Okay. I guess my next question would be, if, because you said Elantris is like his first. Um, um, the, other, the other reason uh, that I knew I would like it is that I started listening to his uh, podcast writing excuses and listened to a lot of those before I ever read one of his books. Oh, okay. Which is kind of a, a backwards thing. Hmm. Most people do it the other way around. I guess what my next question? question would be, if you, yes, in your interest is his first book. In your estimation, then, if someone was not already on board but wanted to check it out, what book would you suggest to them of the ones you've read so far? If, so, if you were to say, "Listen, you have you don't know anything about Sanderson. You might right. be you might be interested in it. Here's here's something to sh- that I could show you that that's good enough to to, to demonstrate, like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about, but also." doesn't like spoil something or, or is too difficult to understand what's going on. Right. That, that is really tough. So you've got, you've got basically four different places that you can start for reading Brandon Sanderson. You can start with Elantris, which is his first book. It's not his best, but it's still good. And I actually, I, I really enjoyed it. it. It's a really solid story. You could start with Mistborn, which is better than Elantris. And it has has a, a fantastic twist at the end. I'll, I'll get to why you might not want to do that in a moment. You could start with the Stormlight Archive, which is his best work, The Way of Kings. Uh, not not that sp- book specifically, although that's a lot of people's favorites even still. But, but basically, the big problem you're going to run into, if you start with the best, or even Mistborn, the second best to, to start with, it's... You run the risk of being disappointed and not enjoying his other books, like Elantris, even though those are still, like, really good. So um, another option is, like, his skill as a writer, 
is, you know, grows with time. So the most recent book might be his, his best as far as quality of writing. Most skillful. Okay, that, I, I get that. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I, I'm understanding a bit of what you're talking now. You have to, you have to just accept yeah. that, like, if you want to get into this, it's going to get better, which means that the first edition or the first right. is, is, not, is not going to be as good. That's something to look forward right. to, but I, clearly you would stand by Elantris as something worth reading because it's that yeah. good. Okay. So the, the Way of Kings would be a fantastic place to start, except it might be difficult to persuade somebody to read it because it's like over a thousand pages long. Mm, you know, it's a commitment. Yeah. You know, it's good and they will enjoy it, but they, it'll be harder to get them to read it because of that that length they'll just have like difficulty physically picking up the book mm. not and not just because it's heavy um the other place to start would be mistborn which is also a series and would be perhaps the the second best best place to start as far as quality goes you mentioned but four you still, but you only gave three, you only talked about three yes, What's the I'll, I'll get to that one and and why i don't necessarily suggest that one at least not for christian audiences um, even though that, that makes it sound real bad, but it's not. It's just, I'll, I'll get to it. Okay, okay. So Mistborn is good, but you still have, it, it's still not a standalone. There's a series that you're kind of committing to. Um, so if you're okay with reading at least three books in the series, it, that'd be a good place to start. And a lot of people do start there. Olivia started there. The, the problem is that Olivia read Mistborn, and then she read Elantris. Oh. And she didn't like Elantris as much. Oh, okay. I see. Like that, that's what I'm afraid of because it's like, oh, but Elantris is so good. And so I personally suggest Elantris because I think it's good enough uh, to read. Like it's worth reading. And on top of that, you can say, yeah, that was good and it gets better. Oh, okay. And second, and, and on top of that, it's a standalone book. And so people don't feel like they're committing to too much. So the other place that, uh, that people can start the fourth place is Warbreaker. It is a standalone book. It was written after Mistborn. So uh, Elantris is his first. Mm -hmm. Mistborn is his second. He wrote two more books for Mistborn. So he wrote the whole trilogy of Mistborn. And then he wrote Warbreaker. So Warbreaker is really like his fifth book. Uh, although it, it's a little more complicated because he, he actually released it online as like a serial so it might not actually be as good for that reason. Mm. You know, it didn't have the go back and edit advantage that a, a book, like a full manuscript might have being written. Uh, so I'm not sure about that. The problem, the problem with Warbreaker is it might be more skillfully written and it might be standalone and so not as big of a commitment. The problem is that the plot kind of centers around sex. Oh. Or at least a, a person's... Uh, like relationship oh and so okay. it might be a little more awkward for uh christian audiences where that's not certainly not a primary focus it, it's not there it's not lascivious it's not inappropriate really it's just kind of different hmm. okay so yeah i wouldn't suggest people start there uh for that reason because they might get the wrong impression of brandon sanderson that's fair okay i get you i get you huh i admit i don't really have anything else to say or any questions to ask? I guess really now it's just up to me to to start reading. Um, oh yeah. Anything else you want to say? Because there was one smaller thing I wanted to talk about, but 
smaller thing. Yeah, I, I don't mind you bringing it up. I it's it is a hard pivot from Brandon Sanderson. Hard pivot. Okay, let me think. Let me think if there's anything I want to wrap up. It's not I, a pivot, I think it's not I basically... a pivot from fantasy, but it is a pivot from Sanderson. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Let's go for it. I. I... I think I've basically explained what I can explain with your your level of knowledge uh, being not having read anything. So I don't think I've spoiled too much, and I've given a, a, an interesting place to start. Um, I, I know that my brother, Michael, he actually started with The Way of Kings, and so he's read through most of that series, and he loves it. He tried to go back and read Mistborn, which is fantastic, and he found it boring. Oh, really? Huh. So it's boring by comparison to The Lord of the Rings, and Elantris is boring by comparison to Mistborn. Uh, but if you read them the other way around, it's like, oh, Elantris is good. Mistborn is amazing. The Stormlight Archive is mind-blowing. That's that's the way I see it. Okay, okay. So does that mean that I've, I've and, cursed myself by reading Lord of the Rings first? Okay, good. <laughs> like, so it, they're going to be very different because I will say that Brandon Sanderson's fantasy novels are easier to read. Okay. So Lord of the Rings, it has some drier spots because I, like Tolkien's motive wasn't strictly to entertain. He like, he had a, yes. he had, I would say he almost had, well, that's kind of the magic behind his books is that they feel old. Mm -hmm. They feel like those older, like it feels like legends it, of King Arthur kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and but along with that comes some of the drier writing that you have to you have to already you know, like that stuff or, or at least be willing to tolerate that someone someone who's right. like who, whose main consumption is the literature equivalent of Michael Bay movies is probably not going to enjoy <laughs> to right. Tolkien as much. And uh, Robert Jordan is kind of a nice in between. He's he's got that kind of flowery language. Yes, he does. But it, it's it's surprisingly more to the point than. I expected when I picked up the Dragon Reborn mm. and and read it as a physical book. Um, so I had a, I had a, I don't know if I've discussed this on the podcast before, but I read The Eye of the World as a as a novel, like in physical form, uh, physically reading the book. But I listened to The Great Hunt, the second book, as an audiobook, and then I read The Dragon Reborn as a book. Weren't so, you on The Shadow Rising last time I knew? I, I'm still on the fourth book. I haven't started it yet because okay, that, it's packed up at the moment. Okay. So uh... I, I had I had difficulty getting through the Eye of the World. I like read halfway through the book and then set it down for like months, and then I picked it up and I actually found it pretty easy to read. Mm. Like I, I once it got closer to the end, it just started going faster oh, and faster. Oh yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. It, it feels like two and different so books. At I don't some know. It feels like what? It feels two like two different, different books. The, two different books at some points. Gotcha. Like there's the um, beginning, so which, which feels know. like it's trying to be the beginning of like a D and D session, mixed with like <laughs> Lord of the Rings, and then it right. go, it goes a little bit into like action movie at the end. Right. And so I don't know if that is like I, I'm assuming it's a kind of a flaw of the Eye of the World, it being his first book. Yes. It, it also but I listened. He wasn't to... sure if it would be continued afterwards. So it gives a right. feeling of like completeness. That's right. and like and then after it was like, oh yeah, this is great. Make a sequel. It's like, oh, he now he has to like open it back up and and that's when he starts going for a longer arc where things feel yes. more like, oh, this so, is gonna have a payoff later rather than in a yeah. hundred pages. So I started listening to the Great Hunt 
as an audiobook mm. and it was amazing like i gave it five stars it was it was fantastic uh partially like uh, it was just good um and then i picked up the the dragon reborn which was also amazing i think i also gave it five stars and so i don't know if 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 like I, I had a, a different perspective when reading the eye of the world or if it actually just wasn't as good as the other two. No, I'd or, say either or, or what, is but... in quality inferior to the rest of yeah. his work, which is like a good thing. <laughs> right. Right. No, it's like, you don't it's not want bad. it to it's be just, all no, down, ha- downhill from there. Right. Right. And so the, uh, the, like the dragon reborn for instance was basically riveting the entire time. Hmm. And which you can't exactly say of the Lord of the Rings even though they both have a flowerier language. Brandon Sanderson calls it purple prose. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. And like, that's where they're similar, and, and they're more purple than most, most writing today. Yeah, that, you know, that's fair. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is not, not purple. I think he says he goes for the like, Orwellian prose, which the way he describes it is he wants his writing to be like a window. You know, instead of basically invisible, you know, you, you're looking through it to the story. The, the the words on the page themselves are not the art. Okay. The story is the art. Okay. Whereas you get to Lord of the Rings, like the actual writing and the words are themselves artful. Yes. Very often. Yes. And it, it's... And it's like, wow, what a great way to put that. Yes. Okay. I now, get Now, Brandon you. Sanderson has his moments of artful wording. But his focus is uh, somewhere and he, else. And he... Yeah, he picks he picks those moments very like particularly, mm. and, and you can kind of tell. But he he does it well, okay. and so that's that's part of the reason why it's more interesting. Is uh, Travis describes uh, his writing like basically you can tell that he grew up not really he grew up, but he's writing in a action movie era. Yes, I do recall our friend his, Travis his, saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. his his it, it feels like you're reading like an watching action movie. a movie. Yeah. Whereas that's not the sense you get with, you know, the Lord of the Rings, certainly. Or, I don't think action movies were even, around when Tolkien was alive. Right, right. And then and then they turned Lord of the Rings into an action movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Lord of the Rings feels like a, a movie that transcends genre for me personally. Yeah. It's, I love Well, it's it. funny because that that's actually a criticism that Christopher Tolkien gave of the Peter Jackson films. They're like, they stripped... They stripped it of everything like meaningful and made it into a mindless action movie. Oh, oh, which is I, funny because I, I thought you were going to say so many people are like, "Wow, the movies are so deep and like emotional." I thought you were going to say Christopher Tolkien's criticism was that it transcends movies. genre, and I was like, "That's really weird." No, no, no. The action movie. I, I can understand how how <laughs> how his son would feel that way. If you cut any, right. he doesn't want anything to be cut. Obviously. Right. And this is the person who was like listening to stories set in Middle Earth since he was a child. Yes. You know, yes. and now he's like an 80-year-old man. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, oh, this this guy, he knows Middle Earth like he lived there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, when I was growing up, my dad would make up a- Also, he would have Can you believe it like not to interrupt, but can you believe it that like this person would have heard like Tolkien talk about Middle Earth in a context that wasn't writing? Like it wasn't written. Yeah, he would just be like he would have a sense for it in a way. Yeah, like it. It it would not be. It would not be a source of study for him. It would simply be intrinsic knowledge. It would be. It would be reflexive of like. Like oh yeah, he would. Wasn't Denethor born in like like? No, actually, no, it wasn't because like I just know this stuff. Well, and and 
he would he would know what Tolkien himself thought about Middle Earth. Yeah, he ha- he has access you know, to the and, mind of and God just, in that you know, sense. Why he wrote it and how he felt about it and what it meant to him and you know why he was writing it mm-hmm. and what certain things meant to him. I think I might have said that already. <laughs> it bears repeating with Tolkien. Well, okay, so the the first time I think was what Middle Earth meant, and then I said what certain things like certain aspects. So like you know why Tom Bombadil is there, right? You know that kind of stuff. You know why he he felt the need to include certain things. Why he thought those were so important to add. Because those are some of the questions that people have. It's like, why is Tom Bombadil in here? It's like, well, he's kind of like a fairy magic person. You know, every fairy story has a magic person like that. I was gonna say my dad would tell me and my brother bedtime stories, but he just made stuff up. And you could like, as when I was a really young child, I couldn't tell that he was making it up as he went. But it was like the tales of, it was like prehistoric times. Uh, it was about this guy, it was a caveman named Agni. And I always got the sense he was this balding old man <laughs> with, like big, with like big glasses and a big nose. And he was, like, he was the cantankerous old guy. And there was his brother Sogni, who always liked his cereal soggy. And there was Rogni, his brother. And it was just like, it's this, this stuff. I'm like, huh, this, is the, uh, this is the caliber of bedtime stories I got. And Christopher Tolkien gets Lord of the Rings. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, uh, growing up, my dad, um, our favorite thing was a Skeeter Scatter Scooter story. And so uh, once upon a time, there were three scared Skeeters from Schenectady oh. named Skeeter Scatter and Scooter. And so that they all have their like distinct personalities and right. uh, they've got like a, you know, like a cousin, the, the, the scared one whose name is Skitter mm. and he, you know, he's skittish. And then you have like the dumb one who's Scotter or something right. like that. <laughs> oh, I get his the name. Ma- yeah. The, the main one that I remember, like, the, I think there's two that I remember. One was uh, one of the Skeeters had a dirty dollar and so he used the dirty dollar to go buy a donut and in return for the dirty dollar he got a dirty donut yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the moral of that one was <laughs> i think alliteration uh, <laughs> is the moral of that story yeah um no the the other story is i think this must have been skitter uh because they were confronted with a bat that they en- that was going to eat them and they ended up sticking a toothpick in his mouth like to to keep him from biting down on him. Mm. It's like that's what that's what saved him. Interesting. So yeah, I, I think there's one about a potato somewhere. I'm I'm not quite sure, <laughs> but so yeah, those those were our children's stories growing up. We loved them. But yeah, was it you or oh, I can't remember? Uh, someone someone told me fairly recently that uh, the reason why Tolkien started writing like The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. I think it was mostly The Hobbit, why he started writing stuff down, is that he was telling these stories to Christopher Tolkien, well, and, and his other children, uh, as they were growing up, like as bedtime stories, mm-hmm. like he said. But the reason why he started writing them down was because his kids kept getting on to him about inconsistencies in the story. I, I remember that, so but I don't know if it was just I was like, the one who told you that. It was just a con- like, continuity error. Like, oh, I guess, he, I guess, I, I guess Tom Bombadil... Can't take the ring and then also not take the ring. Okay, I I have to figure out what happened yeah. then. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. Did Fatty Bullgar okay, with so him or go with him or not? I don't know. Like, Dad, yeah. you said Fatty uh, stayed home. Oh, did I? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs>
No, yeah, that, yeah. I, I, I was yeah. aware of that, but I didn't. I don't know if I was the one who who told you that. I think you might have mentioned it in the last our last podcast, mm. but it's been. I'm not going to go back and check since then. So, yeah. So, what was your your hard pivot from not fantasy, but from Brandon Sanderson? I actually was going to talk about the Elder Scrolls. Elder Scrolls. Okay. okay. So you know that. Um, they are making Elder Scrolls Six. It's going to be releasing after right. Starfield, which is supposed to re- release this year, which I heard was delayed. But did you know that there is a guy who... I'll say that for later. You know how me and Caleb have, have been getting on to you to play more Morrowind? Yeah. One thing I, I guess. think that might make the experience better would be... Time. Time to do it. Yes. But you know what else would make the experience better is if you downloaded a mod. I know I don't know if you how you feel about like mods on your first playthrough. Would you would you want to go exclusively vanilla? I mean, I played I played the enough of the basic like Xbox version of it that it's like I I think I've got enough flavor of the vanilla Morrowind that I, I think what I would do is I'd probably get either maybe like. I'd be tempted to do like a texture pack and like make sure it can do a higher resolution than just yeah, there. Know, 480 or whatever. Right, right. Cuz there are there are a couple of there are a few mods that I would actually recommend. Those probably would be the main two. Mm. Is just make it more pleasant for a modern player. Right. There are a few mods of course, I'd actually you still have the s- same stilted animations. Yeah, there's actually there's actually a mod you can you can download that isn't like fan-made content, but it's rather just giving an updated uh animation set to the player in terms of interest. In terms of like weapon, like unsheathed weapon walking and magic. So there there's an enemy who like most most characters kind of run in a very stilted, like, arm goes forward, or one arm goes forward, one arm goes back, and then just that just cycles, even if you're yeah. holding a weapon. So you look kind of dumb, but there's, a, there's yeah. a, a certain character who does not run around like that. When their weapon's out, they, like, hold it off to the side, and they just kind of, like, advance forward, you know, kind of like an actual fighter. And then right. instead of magic being a very awkward two-handed affair it's a, it's a single swish of the hand w- w- with one hand huh. it's, it's much more fluid it looks much better downloading that it's like it's a it barely does it doesn't do anything it's all aesthetics uh, i think it also right. um it also makes your weapon appear on your your character's model because otherwise your, your weapon just disappears this mod makes it like if, if it's a sword oh, it's sheathed at oh, your right. side if it's like a staff it's on your back bow and arrow same thing i recommend that more than that though i recommend three mods one of which is actually them porting skyrim into morrowind or rather skyrim at that time because skyrim is actually 200 years in the future past oblivion in morrowind and that's one another mod is that is is people trying to port the the map of oblivion so cyrodiil into into morrowind and the third one okay. is so this is like physically making the game bigger. Yes, yes. Okay. You can't just you can't just walk. You have to fast travel because otherwise, like they they can't render that amount that amount of landmass uh, at one time. But then the okay. third mod is like the rest of Morrowind because in Morrowind it's only the one island, whereas this okay. this in mod is is like the 
it's not finished. None of these mods are finished, but I recommend you, you check them out anyway. Uh, and I can show it to you Interesting. After, after the show. But it's, it's so incredible the way that they... Because th these projects have been going on for over a decade. And in the case of the, the mainland of Morrowind, since before the game came out. And once the game <laughs> came out, they just immediately started... They just immediately got to work. Uh, so they have more experience with the medium of Morrowind than Bethesda does. Vastly... <laughs> better idea of like what they're That's doing funny. so like the, the quality like once you leave the island the quality just like jumps by like a hundred percent it's amazing <laughs> That's funny. It, it like there's so much to do you can integrate uh faction quests with like the rest of the the factions on the mainland there's so much stuff to do they aren't finished like i said but there's some stuff that just feels like this feels right at home and better like some like like the best stuff that that bethesda didn't make uh, and the other one I was gonna I was gonna talk about was actually a separate game made by a guy who loves Morrowind. It's called Dread Delusion, and uh, I recommend you check it out on Steam. I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this weird, absurdist, surrealist horror style, but like with Morrowind style graphics. Have you heard of Ultra Kill? I, I have to ask. Ultra mm, Kill. It, I don't think Ultra so. Kill is a is a sci-fi, I guess, first-person shooter. A robot goes into, into hell to fight demons. It's, so you're thinking, oh, it kind of sounds like Doom, but with like a robot. The graphics are like intentionally bad, like PS1 style era. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, it, it, there's actually like an in-world reason, which is that the robot like wasn't given good cameras. It was just like, eh, oh. the, the cameras are good enough to detect <laughs> bad people. And you shoot the bad people. You don't need to see all the detail. Like, okay, that's nice. But for Dread Delusion, he's, a he's actively attempting to emulate that, that era of graphics because it made such an impression gotcha. on him. And I, I recommend, I don't, I, I've not actually played Dread Delusion, so I can't recommend it for quality, but I do recommend you check out, uh, it's early access on Steam right now. I do recommend you check that out just to get a feel for like what he's kind of talking about. It, it's that same kind of like weird that Morrowind is. I'm not sure how much you know about Marwin, but I will I will tell you one one bit that's not a spoiler, but it's one of those really weird things. They have these crazy like anarcho-libertarian wizards in the eastern half of the island. Uh, and actually on his own separate smaller island, there's a wizard who's lived for like a thousand years. And he was like, I'm lonely. I want a companion, but I also don't want to leave my tower to go socialize. So instead, he grows clones of himself that are like female clones of himself. So they're his, they're his plant daughters, but then he also marries all four of them. So they're his clone oh, plant weird. daughter wives. And like, how weird is that? And they all just take it for granted. Like, yeah, I, I'm a clone of him. Yeah, I'm married to him. What of it? Like, yeah, he's my dad and my husband. Like, and like, there's four of us. It's so weird. There's not a whole, like, they don't, like, talk about it a whole lot. It's, but, like, and that, that's what I like about it. One, because I'm not particularly interested in the details of how they navigate their relationship. I don't care. But, like, the, the idea that they've, <laughs> they've been around for so long, for centuries, that, like, yeah, this is just normal. Like, whatever. Like, what are you talking about? You don't have this? <laughs> like, you tell me you didn't yeah, make a clone weird. of yourself and marry it? Okay, weirdo. <laughs> right. But that, that's basically all I had to say about, about the heart pivot. I... The, the universe of Elder Scrolls pre-Oblivion 
uh, I'm sorry. I'm not even going to pretend. I'm just a Morrowind snob. Morrowind lore-wise, world building is so incredible. And the aesthetic capture combined with the, the lore and world building captured such an incredible way of telling a fantasy story. And for as good as Oblivion and Skyrim were, they felt like a sort of regression to a, a more generic stereotypical and I, I wish I could use a different word that didn't have wasn't loaded with negative connotations, but I can't really think of one right now. It feels more I mean, like I a, wouldn't say you're like a standard yeah, fantasy you're, you're story. You're not wrong like as far as Skyrim goes. It's like okay, yeah. It's very it, it's it's it, the it's the Elder Scrolls with dragons. Yes, it's very know? Viking inspired like, and and Nordic and yeah. that's fine because of where it's set. The thing is well, the and, Nord and race the Viking was, stuff is rather original as far as video games goes. Mm. Like I don't know of many that I mean you've got Valheim now, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is, is more of the the culture of the people. So for and instance, God of War Ragnarok. What? <laughs> and God of War Ragnarok. Oh yeah, I don't I I'll be honest, I've never liked the God of War series. I've never played it. I've Man, never really I, had an I, interest. I, I've never played it either. I mean, I hate the the lore and world building of, of the God of War series. I think it's just silly and stupid. I think I think you might have talked about that. Maybe not last time, but a previous episode. What I was going to say is the the Nord culture was previously like equal or not equal parts, but not just uh, Norse and in, in Viking inspired. It was also Celtic. And with Skyrim, they kind of just dropped the Celtic aspect of it, which I think is a big shame because it's if it, it wait in which game was also Celtic. Oh, Morrowind. Uh, there's not as big of a Nord presence. Oblivion. Okay. I, Oblivion gotcha. doesn't even. Uh, but you mean like the Nord culture was like their lore. If you read like Norse some of their early lore, you, you can Celtic. see Celtic gotcha. I- I- inspirations from it. Later, later entries feel like they just kind of drop that and they just say, ah, they're just fantasy Vikings. Like, don't get me wrong. Right. The, the, the way of the voice, the shouting and all of that, the magic words, that's right. cool. Um, and that, that right. certainly uh, is in accord with like Norse mythology of like speaking being a big part of magic. But like a lot of the Celtic aesthetic, a lot of the, the, a lot of the, the, the Celtic way of looking at things, that's just gone. And I think that they are poorer for it as a as a culture as a race and as a game i say culture and race but like uh that that is not intended to be like a social political (laughs) point i'm just saying like the lore is worse how about that the lore is worse and that aspect of the lore i'm pointing at the map that's above uh, the map of of tamriel the continent above my monitor uh but you can't see that that's that's all i have to say I really recommend Morrowind. I I want to be there watching you play it. And I can't think of a yeah. good time for us to do that except like Saturday mornings or evenings. Right. It would basically would have to be like our, our podcast time. Yeah, you know? I don't mind doing that, but mm. <laughs> maybe maybe once we're done with season three. Fair, okay. I'm, cool. I'm just biding biding my time till season three right. is over. Which is we gotta do three more episodes after this one. Okay. Which is the best foreshadowing we've done for people as far as... Sorry, drop my drink. The, yeah, that was not foreshadowed. Not not foreshadowing, but anyway, best heads up. The most heads up we've given that a season is about to end. Yes. Usually we just release an episode that says, finale. Yeah, we're done. Hey, uh, how about yeah. this? The news is that we're still doing this. We are still doing we're this. We're not dead. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh do you have anything else? Uh, even Caleb's not dead. Even oh yeah, Caleb is also but... not dead. He's he's tired, but not 
He's tired. He, he's dead tired, but not dead. Do you have anything else? I don't. Well, no, I don't. I don't. Uh, how do I end this? I don't remember. Join um, us next time to see what's up in Brian's yeah. attic. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Brian's Attic. And of course, a special thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support Brian's Attic, head over to patreon.com slash Brian's Attic, or use the link in the description. <laughs>